All right. Oh. Well, Derek, it feels good to be back, man. It does. It Every does. Thursday. Yep. Get to hang out, drink some beers. It's, talk- best, it's the best day of the week. It's, it's, it's my favorite day of the week now. Mm-hmm. I always liked Thirsty Thursday, but now I love Thirsty Thursday. Yeah. Thursday Thursday's always been a mark on my calendar. Absolutely. <laughs> wine Wednesday, not so much. I'm not a wine guy. Yeah, that's one on my calendar, too. I'm um, Spirit Saturday. Spirit Saturday. Libation is, uh... Sunday. <laughs> Mocktail Monday. Yeah. Tequila I, Tuesday. You you could <laughs> I mean it, it you know it's Taco Tuesday. But then you oh. have to have like margaritas. You have to. Or you know, Mexican beer, which is generally kind of shitty. Well, Derek, we've got uh, a really interesting guest today. I'm ex- dude, I'm excited from the little bit you've told me. It's, it's going to be awesome. We, we've got a doctor. Yeah, that's crazy. Not a doctor of love, not a doctor of beer, but like an actual doctor. A doctor, a PhD, uh, who is a, uh, a scientist who has worked on a lot of different pathogens and uh, really excited to have him because he's familiar with COVID, has knowledge of COVID, and we want to ask him some questions about that. Yeah. But by the way, we're not going to deviate from our normal thing. He's still drinking beer with us. Oh, yeah. And he's scared of something. He's got to be scared of something. Yeah. You know, so ladies and gentlemen, very excited. Let's roll this thing. Hi, my name is Stu Hawk, and this is my podcast about all the weird, crazy, spooky things that scare me and my guests, and the one thing that helps us forget all about them. Ladies and gentlemen, beer freaks. And we're back. Hey, Spence. Dr. Schwartz, I should say. Dr. Schwartz, yeah. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So I, what I want to preface to everybody uh, on this podcast is Spencer and I, and the reason that I call him Spencer and not Dr. Schwartz, uh, which I do actually very much respect him, uh, which it won't sound like for the rest of the podcast. This is the most respect <laughs> I'm going to pay him. Um, we've known each other since second grade. We went to elementary school, middle school, high school, and college together. We've been best friends since we were seven years old, uh, and we love each other, but we definitely act like we hate each other. And he is a, he's a doctor. He is a brilliant dude, and he is very familiar with the thing that is afflicting uh, a lot of people, along with a lot of other pathogens. So really happy to have you on the show, man. Uh, I've been wanting to get you on for a while, so thanks for zooming in. Yeah, uh, happy to do it. Dude. So first of all, I think what we got to jump straight into today. Yeah. Just straight into it. We have to. Because we've already we've already given you a lot of street cred, right? You're a doctor. You know some shit about COVID. All right, we'll give you some credit there. Yeah. He's but now, got a little bit. He, he, you know, he's little, kind of an expert. It's kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. But now we got to knock you down a peg, okay? Suspense. Dr. Schwartz, what are you afraid of? Uh, you know, I. my wife and I just had our fourth child. And I, I got to say, this. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but you know that the, what's ahead of us to raise these kids for the world that exists in 20 years and 30 years, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenge. And it, I think it, it, it maybe raises the level of fear. I'd say it's uh, it's mm-hmm. concerning. 
Yeah. I, uh, I would agree. I only have one. So I have one quarter of the fear that you probably have uh, there. But I would concur, man. It is a wild, wild world. It's insane right now. Yeah. Uh, what kind of kids are, I should say, how many boys, girls? Uh, two boys, two girls. Uh, so the oldest okay, is cool. six years old, and then we have a four-year-old girl, two-year-old boy, and then we have a new, new uh, newborn daughter. Okay, awesome, man. That's cool. Heck yeah. That's fantastic, man. Yeah. yeah. You, you really got like the perfect like just structure there. You got like yep. like it's not just like a bunch of boys in front and a bunch of girls in back. You got like literally all the way through. They can all keep each other in line. They can mm-hmm. all protect each other. It's kind of perfect. You kind of got like the perfect setup. It's perfectly planned too. Six four two new. Uh, there's yeah, there's an engineer awesome. to all this, and it wasn't me. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for laying out your premise. I think it's uh, it's 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 a great. It's a great fear. It's, mm-hmm. I think it's a fear that a lot of people have. In fact, I know when we spoke with Matt Brady from Astronomy Aleworks. Yeah, we, I asked him that question. You asked him that exact question. And he said if he had kids, he would be scared. That is the question yeah. that made me the winner that night. Yes. That gave you the point one, point one extra winner. point, uh, which is why we're not going to have guests on without fears anymore, because I, I can't allow you to beat me in this trivia yeah. two times in a row. So, Spence, we got a couple of beers, and because you're in San Diego, right? So we're we're obviously we're in Vegas. You're in San Diego. We couldn't go shopping together. You're not here in the studio. Uh, so uh, I bought a couple of beers on uh, Tuesday. I sent it to you. Uh, you didn't have the same selection, which uh, which perfectly fine. I think uh, for the first one mm-hmm. and the second one, we'll make do. It's fine, you know. Because look, at the end of the day, you got the same uh, brewers. Uh, so we're going to start, by the way, with Modern Times. Perfect. Love those guys. And out, by the way... Out of your home. Out, out, out of, of your home, too, Spencer, right? Uh, so so we got Modern Times, though. This is my loose translation, because, Spencer, I tried to I tried to find some beers that aligned with your fear, and uh, there just wasn't a lot of shit out there uh, that, that was, like, future or something like that. I'm sure there are plenty of beers, but where I was mm-hmm. shopping, there, there didn't happen to be. So what I got was I got Modern Times which is a great San Diego brewery. Uh, and everyone who listens to the show knows that I'm very passionate about San Diego beer. Uh, I'm very passionate about the Las Vegas beer scene too. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not, you know, but everyone knows San Diego knows how to yeah. get shit done. It's amazing. Okay. So, so modern times, uh, I just thought that there was a bit of a tie because look, you know, it's the modern times. That's what we're worried about. That's what I'm worried about with my son. Uh, we're dealing with a lot of political polarization, weird shit going on uh potential world war three so why don't we fucking open this thing yeah i okay. like it let's Modern just get times. into this because my 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 correlation of the the beer name was not Beautiful. that good thank you sir so we don't need to talk a ton about it but let's just say this so we're drinking modern times critical band which is a hazy tropical ipa out here in vegas spence what's your modern times yeah my, i tried to match it this is a hazy ipa this is alara Alara. Okay. Right. It's got much better artwork on yeah, it. Yeah, that's than beautiful. Ours does. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, that's, I, that's... I tried to match the, the flavor profile there with the... Uh... Okay. Cool. Uh, well well done. Well done. I appreciate that. Ours is um, 6.7%. How much How much is... Uh, what's your ABV over there? We're rocking seven. Oh, oh he beat us. He Dang beat it, us. man. Fuck. See, you're going to beat I can't again. Win. I can't win. <laughs> I can't win. God damn it. Yeah, but you know what, Spence? I've drank like three beers even before the show, so fuck you. 
<laughs> I know the answer to this question, Spence, but what's your favorite drink? I mean, you know, uh, rum and coke's my standard beverage, but yep. You know, Ooh, okay, yeah. Your okay. wise IPA, I'm definitely looking for You're, some interesting yeah. ones uh, when I go out. All right, Spence. Hey, virtual cheers from Las Vegas. Yes. You're here. Raise a glass. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's see how it is. What do you think? It's okay. I'll drink it because, it, you know, it's alcohol abuse if I don't. Um, but I am not a big IPA guy. Yeah. So I'm I'm a weird beer guy. I love like the mango habanero beers. Like if mm-hmm. if there's something really weird that people are like, I'll never drink it. That's my stuff. Mm. That is true. You drink the weird shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bud Light Lime. Oh, no, I won't go that far. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you get shot in San Diego if you drink uh, non-craft beer. I think you get kicked out of the town or hanged. <laughs> it's uh, so old time. Spence, have you ever experienced that? Like, do you get called out if you like drink bullshit beer? Yeah, it, yeah, it gets pretty ugly around here. I'd have to say. Sure. Well, you, I mean, because you live, you live in Escondido, which is right next to uh, my favorite brewery of all time, Stone. Stone. I mean, you're right down the road from those guys, and. Uh, we're still courting their CEO. Oh, see, there you go. That's uh, that's actually the beer. Derek's holding up the beer right now that uh, Stone sent us for free uh, because we almost got their founder on the show. We almost got him. And, uh, and he, you know, he's a busy guy. He had to pull out. Um, but out of out of really gracious courtesy, they, they said, you know what? We know he can't come, so we want to make, you know, we want to be we want to be good people. We want to be good, you know, uh, a business. So here's a couple of beers to share amongst you guys. So that was really cool. That's pretty amazing. And it was fat. Like I, I almost like when you told me that, I'm like, oh, they're just gonna say that, whatever. It was and like then two like two days. days later, you had beer on your doorstep. It was like two days. It's crazy. And it was a Saturday delivery, which Jesus. I know costs a lot, a lot of extra money too. So good on you, Stone. We're not even mad. Mm-mm. We'll we'll have them on soon enough. So Spence, so uh, well, let me just follow up Derek's comments. Uh, this this beer, and I do like Modern Times actually. Mm-hmm. Modern Times has made some really good beers. This beer is uh, kind of bland to me. I don't okay. know if you're I don't know if you're getting that at all. But it's definitely not like that IPA that we had what a week ago or two weeks ago. You brought one. And I'm like, dude, okay, I can totally rock mm-hmm. this IPA. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 got you know it's got a decent punch to it. But like literally, it's it's it just doesn't have anything special to me that blows me away. Yeah, you know. Whereas like when I look at basically any Stone IPA, you're gonna get something unique. Mm-hmm. Generally, a pretty good punch of IPA uh, or or hops, I should say. Um, or with Belching Beaver Ghost Bride, you get a really weird and interesting flavor that comes through sort of at the end of it. Um, and I, honestly, I don't even know how to put my finger on. It. I don't know what it is. So yeah, I mean. So anyway, for me, uh, modern times, critical band. Uh, I mean, it's not bad. It's just you know, I, I don't think I'd return to it. I don't think it's anything that's like special to me that that I'm mm-hmm. really getting a whole lot out of. Yeah. Um, you know, again, de- decent flavor. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to take anything away from it. But we've had some really good beers on this show. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's kind of tough when you have really good ones and you know, decent ones just aren't as good. Yeah. As well, they probably are if you don't have really good ones. We're raising the bar. <laughs> yeah, here. man. We're raising the bar. Yep. Okay, Spence. So you got another Modern Times beer. So, so what are you thinking about it so far? So, I, you know, my first thing, my first reaction is I, I can't believe this is seven percent alcohol. It. Uh, mm. Oh wow! 
goes down real smooth. You know, it doesn't like yours. It doesn't have that punch of like a, most IPAs that I kind of looking for. But I mean, yeah. it's good. It's got a little. I I think it has some tropical notes in there. But uh, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> stone fruit. The fucking stone. <laughs> the ever elusive. <laughs> the always elusive fucking stone fruit. Have you I, ever had a real stone fruit, Spencer? I don't even know what a fucking Dr. stone Schwartz? fruit looks like. Uh, no. He's operated on a stone fruit before. <laughs> he deconstructed the fucking stone fruit. <laughs> he invented the stone fruit. It didn't exist. So is this like uh, one of the better IPAs you've had? or You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rank it that high, to be honest with you. I definitely like something that does not have the fruity tropical notes. I want something a little more, mm. you know, kind of punches you in the nose. Uh, gotcha. So, Spence, I, I want to spend a little bit of time while we're drinking all the beers that are very unimpressive to us. Sorry, Modern Times. I mean, like, you guys <laughs> got good bad. stuff. You it's guys do. This one, not. You have great stuff. The best. This, the these just were not winners for us, and uh, and and we'll have we'll have it on again, and we'll figure it out. But while we drink these bad big beers, not bad. Again, sorry, Modern Times. Not throwing you under the bus. While we drink these okay big beers. Um, Spence, tell us a little bit about, uh, like, tell us about you. Well, well, so, well, I want to go specifically to this moment. Yeah. I got a call from Spencer, um, back, it was either in January or February and I'm going to call you out Spence because you had, uh, I mean, again, you work in this industry, you work in these pathogens, you, you, you had some early information, you understood what was happening. You called me. And you said, you got to worry about this virus that's coming. You have to be concerned about what's happening here. You might want to consider doing a few things, um, which obviously in retrospect were, you know, intense. But but actually at the time when we looked at, because we were looking at the data together. And I mean, we were on a phone call, I think, for like three hours. We were looking at the data together. And this was before the coronavirus had become like a big thing in America. We were looking at the, the, the data and it was like a 5% or 8% death rate in China or something like that. Yeah. And Spence, you told me, you were like, you might want to consider like moving out of your house, like sleeping in your car, just literally delivering food, delivering groceries, making sure your family's safe. But like, you got to be the one out in the world. So tell me what was going through your mind when you were first learning about this virus. Sure. I mean, I, I think one way to look through, look at a lot of it is through not what's certain, but like the amount of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when reports first started coming out of China, you know, early January, um, you know, when you hear something like five to eight percent death rate, I mean, it's a little unbelievable um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, that that death rate is people who are in the hospital who were super sick to begin with you know, who were tested. And so the reality is it's probably much lower than that. Um, And so, I mean, what I I saw coming was a huge wave of uncertainty rushing over our lives. Um, You know, we're still in that. And so, I mean, virus isn't nearly as deadly as we, as, you know, the initial reports had suggested. But, um, you know, what I saw coming was something that, you know, we didn't understand that was going to get many of us. Um, yeah. Most of us probably not, you know, die from it. But, you know, I, I think for a lot of these things, you know, going forward now and going forward, it's like what what's 
you know, no matter how bad the virus is, the fear is almost what you need to be more concerned about, right? Sure. And so preparing for that, you know, especially if you have a few weeks, you know, before you think it might happen, stock, you know, just wanted to encourage you to stock up and, you know, if this thing, fortunately, this, again, this thing wasn't as, as bad as those initial reports, but, uh, you know, I wanted to look out for my buddy, uh, make yeah. sure he, you know, had his toilet paper. Yeah, good call, <laughs> because it, it went away quick. It went away quick. The, the toilet paper, not the virus. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I remember when we got the uh, the directive from our governor. It was um, like March that, 14th or something like that? Some, yeah, that uh, liquor stores, like a bunch of stuff is going to close. Mm. Man, we heard that. We left our house in the Lee's Liquor, oh, sure. our liquor store, before we moved to this house, was literally down the block. We left, we got to the liquor store, and I've never seen that store so packed. Oh, yeah. It was like people went there, and then we went to go get our dog food. Petco or PetSmart, whichever one we went to, was packed. Mm-hmm. Like people, like they knew, like, all right, we're going to go. We got to take care of us, our pets, and like yeah. back to the house. Yeah. It, it, it was wild, man. And, you know, getting that call, I think early in January, you know, um, it, it was really interesting, and it really put me on high alert. It, it was, you know, I, I think what was really cool is you and I basically got on the phone, I think, every week for probably the next month or so. Sort of for like an update of like, OK, wh- what's up now? What's up now? And I think one of the one of the things that really relieved both you and I as people who have kids was we started to see that there was almost no death rate for children. And that was like, OK, at least we got that. You know, I might die, but, you know, the kids are going to be OK. And then we started to see more data and more data. Um, I mean, Spence, at what point did you start to feel, I'm not going to say comfortable because I don't think anyone's comfortable, but like, when did your mind start to shift around? Like, what does COVID mean for, for people from this could be like a deadly global pandemic to this could be a, an economy shifting paradigm shifting pandemic? Sure. So, I mean, you know, obviously I was, you know, concerned about, you know, my immediate health out of my immediate family, um, yeah. you know, when I was first learning about it. But, you know, I think I'd say probably April, May, you know, it started to become pretty clear that like children were not being affected by it. And yeah. so, you know, in my mind, then it kind of, you know, the, our response to it transitioned, you know, not from like, I need to keep myself safe and keep myself from getting infected to more of like, mm-hmm. okay, this is about, making sure the virus isn't spreading so widely that the hospitals are overrun by, you know, folks from nursing homes or, you know, elderly folks. Um, So, I mean, that, 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 that's kind of where I evolved or, you know, around uh, April, May, I'd say that's right. So I still am concerned, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're talking about in, you know, long-term effects in a variety of, in many people who have survived it. Right. Yeah. The 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 long haulers. Right. The long haulers. but not even the long haulers, but the, those are people who have symptoms that they are um, experiencing that, that mm-hmm. exists for mm-hmm. a long time. But they'll take people who, um, you know, who, who have recovered from the illness, aren't experiencing any symptoms, run, say, a heart test on them, and they'll find heart damage, the presence of heart damage. Mm-hmm. I'm, kinda, I'm definitely more relaxed that's, on it at this point. That's but, that I've um, heard In terms of it like, causing immediate pain, and, you know, suffering and death, but... Again, that that cone of uncertainty is still quite large. Uh, you know, we're not we're not going to know for a few years, right? Until all the data's in. Yeah, that that that's my biggest concern. Mm-hmm. 
because you know uh spence and derek you both you guys both know that that my family had it yeah <clears throat> amanda myself and jackson had it and uh you know we're we're, we're in a low risk group you know we're, we're all young uh none of us have any chronic illnesses that were you know worrisome but we had heard that we'd heard a lot about and read a lot about the um the long-term effects of you know like on your lungs if you have covid that there could be up to 30 percent lung damage like your lung capacity could be reduced by up to like 30 40 percent for the foreseeable future and they don't know how long that could potentially last and and to your point spence it could literally be you know someone who's asymptomatic and i was asymptomatic you know, and I, I haven't noticed anything specific, but who knows? I mean, who knows what the long term impact could be? Yeah. The other thing that I really wanted to ask you about. Um, well, actually, there's there's two follow ups that, that I wanted to ask you. One is based on what we were just talking about. Kids were relatively unaffected by covid. Do we have any idea why yet? I mean, is there any understanding of why kids were relatively unimpacted by covid? So, I, you know, I think part of it has to do with, you know, their, their ability to activate their immune system. Um, and they're kind of able to stamp it out before it's able to, you know, kind of take hold. Uh, yeah. The other big component of it is that there seems to be in the people who, you know, they're on ventilators in the hospital, you know, in the ICU, is that there's this inflammatory reaction that's happening Um you know, that doesn't appear to be happening in children also. So it's kind of mm. both, both parts of it that there's the, the kids' immune systems reacting in the right way. And then the, you know, the elderly people, their immune systems reacting in the wrong way, overreacting and then causing damage that is kind of, you know, mm. typically is associated with people who you know, die from COVID. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's wild, man. Yeah. I mean, and obviously it's it's sad, of course, across the board. But yep. boy, I, I don't think people could have been more relieved to find out that kids were going to be relatively low impact yeah. on this. I mean, it, you know, whether you had kids or not, yeah. now, maybe Matt Brady wouldn't have cared. I yeah. don't know if he yeah. would have cared or not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but look, it is what it is. Um, so, so, I mean, that was definitely good news. Now, the other thing, Spence, that I wanted to ask you about is uh, reinfection. So, so reinfection. Uh, my understanding right now is that there's only five confirmed cases in the entire world of reinfection. That doesn't mean that there's only been five, but obviously five confirmed. What does it mean for, you know, to have such a low statistic um, when we look at this and, and how should people be proceeding um, if they've already had it? You know, if, if we take the cousins of COVID, of well, the, the virus that causes COVID-19 is SARS-CoV-2, right? And if we look at the cousins of that, um, you know, the viruses that are related, you know, a, a large number of them cause the common cold. And so it turns out the, the influenza virus, the reason that you get reinfected with that one is because it mutates and your immune system doesn't recognize it the next time. With these coronaviruses that cause the common cold, it's not that they mutate, they stay exactly the same. It's just that your immune system hasn't built up the right response to identify them. If, you know, the, the past is any indication of the future, you know, I think the assumption needs to be that, th that we're not going to be immune to, to COVID-19. Now, with the, the, vi the, the coronaviruses that cause the cold, you're typically immune from them for about four months, so 120 days. And so, um, you know, you have four months of immunity to it, and then you get infected again. 
right? So these bugs can just stay in like a health, like a, a, a childcare setting, right? The same exact bug bouncing around from kid to kid to kid. You know, they bring it home. Wow. Now, maybe if you have a yeah. severe infection, then you're going to mount a more robust immune response and then you're going to have longer immunity. But I, I think the assumption has to be that we're not immune to it. And, and, and I think that that's a fair assumption to make. I mean, obviously, we all want to be as, as careful as possible. But isn't it strange that there's only been five confirmed? So, you know, in those five cases, what, hap- what, they, what they have done is cultured the virus. So the first time uh, one of the patients was infected, they cultured the virus and got the genomic sequence. And then they got reinfected, and then they cultured the virus again and sequenced that virus. And so they're able to say, hey, look, these two viruses have different sequences. These are different infections. And so the bar to identify, like, conclusively that somebody's been reinfected twice is really high, super difficult. You know, let's say, okay, well, if if we've seen five of them, maybe there's 50,000, right? You know, 50,000 out of many millions is still a small percentage. But you also might want, you know, need to take into account that after an initial infection, you're probably, you know, one might assume um, immune for 120 days. Yeah. So, you know, let's go back to somebody who was infected in March. Well, they're going to be immune through July. They're not going to be able to pick it up again. Um, And so, you know, once we get out of this window of a whole bunch of people catching it and then getting into the not immune state, if that exists, um, you know, we'll have a better idea. But again, that's the problem. Is like we want to know things about this virus that aren't going to be known for months, if not years, right? That's a really interesting point to make too, which actually leads me to a third question that I wasn't expecting to, to ask, um, but now I definitely want to, is so the vaccine, right? Mm. Um, you know, the idea of putting out this vaccine really quickly, which of course everyone wants, or not, I shouldn't say everyone. Actually, a lot of people are really concerned about the, the vaccine if it came out so quickly. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> so, so you're a no. I'm a no, man. Yeah. That's way too quick. You yeah. don't, you don't know any of the effects. You don't know anything. I mean, I'm a guy that doesn't ever take the flu shot. You know what I mean? Mm. Like my, I got a pretty good immune system. Knock on wood. <laughs> um, but even if I did take it, like it's just way too soon. There's, I mean, like what vaccine has come out and taken with that like that fast? I mean, I don't know. Right. But I'm, I want to say not probably many because you need to test it. I certainly wouldn't think so. And based on his history, the answer is absolutely not. So Spence, I'd love for you to, Dr. Swartz, can you tell us a little bit about like, like historically vaccine trials, how long does that take? And, and would you be concerned about something that came out in, let's say, December of this year? So, I mean, I, I, I agree with you guys. I, you know, if they could come out with a vaccine that was 100% effective and 100% safe, I would be ecstatic, right? That's what we all want. Um, but I, I agree, the aggressive timeline does bring in uh, consideration a lot of worries considering what is typical of other vaccines. Um, when you couple that with the fact that, you know, we're at very low risk of having any side of, uh, any effects from the disease, you know, it, it, you know if, if like we knew this was going to kill us if we caught it, you know, we might be all like, let's take that vaccine. It looks like it might be effective. But the fact right. is, you know, we're more than likely going to be asymptomatic if we were to get infected with it. And so it makes it makes it a lot, you know, on an individual level, whether you want to take this vaccine, a lot more difficult, I think, to decide. But it, as on the other side, of course, is that if we want to reach this herd immunity where we're not putting our 
you know, at-risk populations at risk, um, you know, it's going to take 90% of us to take this thing, you know. And if you look yeah. at the polling, some of it at least I've seen is like 50% or people, you know, it's kind of gone back and forth. But, um, you know, what's the point of taking it if, if only it's like 50% of other people are going to take it and then it, it's not even going to be effective anyway at that mm-hmm. level. Can you, can you quickly explain what herd immunity means? Because I feel like a lot of people don't totally understand the herd immunity concept. I think some people think just what herd immunity means is just throw everyone out there and see what sticks. And, and you know, the people that die, die. Uh, <clears throat> I think people have totally different understandings of what herd immunity is. So could you just explain that for us? So the, the term originates from um, cattle, from immunizing enough cattle, such that um, I, I forget in, in in this case, what the virus was or what the bug was, but such that, you know, so few of them are um, susceptible to it can get, you know, can get infected by it, that um, it's very unlikely that it's going to keep spreading uh, continuously throughout the herd, right? Okay. One more question that I have, because I mean, this topic is fascinating to me. I mean, again, uh, Spencer or Dr. Schwartz, whatever we want to call you at this point. One of the things that I heard about the uh, the melting of the ice caps, the melt or global warming, is that there are, uh, in the Arctic there are a lot of caves and there are a lot of things that are um, being exposed that haven't. I mean, they've been in permafrost for thousands and thousands of years, and they're exposing bacteria and they're exposing viruses that actually have not been prevalent and present in basically modern human society. Uh, in modern times, in modern, in modern times, if <laughs> nothing else, modern times, thank you for the relevant brewery name. Boom. Uh, I mean, have you, have you heard about this? Have you thought about this? Like what, like, do you, I, I guess my, my deeper question is, are we going to be in a situation eventually where we're just in a constant pandemic? Like are, once we get past COVID, are we just always going to eventually be dealing with this kind of shit? where it's just, it's never ending. So I've definitely heard about this, like, you know, bugs being brought up from, you know, ancient bugs. Um, You know, it's not clear to me that they have the um, risk of transmission that like say some of the bug, you know, COVID-19 for instance, like I don't think you're going to find anything like that in the, in the soil. You know, who knows though, you know, yeah, these things may be tens of thousands of years old. Um, I think obviously what we have to be much more concerned about are the viruses that are evolving today. You know, if you look at SARS, um, you know, a number of years ago, MERS, SARS-CoV-2 that we're now dealing with, you know, this transmission of viruses from animals to humans, that, that is going to be what gets us, right? That's what happened with swine flu or H1N1, right? That was from a pig farm in Mexico. Um, and so I think, you know, I think if you take proper precautions when you're excavating a permafrost site, um, you know, you're going to be probably fine. I don't know if they're planning, on, you know, if somebody's mining it, maybe you're going to be in trouble. Um, but yeah. clearly what we've seen in the last 20, 30 years are all these bugs coming from animals to us. Um, yeah. And so, you know, kind of to answer your bigger question of like, are we going to see these things? I, you know, I, I'm inclined to think we will. You know, I, I kind of look at this bug and as for all the tragedy and all the suffering that's happening, I look at this as a warm-up pitch, right? Jesus. 
you know, if you look at what happened in Europe in the, you know, with the plague, a third of people dying, you know, that was a bacteria that was causing that. Um, and so, you know, probably easier for us to mitigate at this point and say if it were to, uh, you know, happen again. But, you know, we're fragile beings, you know, uh, a small particle with a unique combination of, you know, genetic code can change the entire world. That's what we're seeing right now, right? Mm. You know, one angle I think about is all the viruses we didn't find, right? How many viruses have evolved out there that just kind of died out? And, you know, never infected a human, but if it had, it would have, you know, caused what COVID-19 is doing. My guess is that it's hundreds of thousands of them. I think we need to look at this bug and say, hey, this is a total wake-up call. You know, in the U.S., arguably, we had a lot of the resources necessary to deal with it, and they weren't utilized. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, I see this as an opportunity to say, hey, you know, worldwide, we don't need to kill each other anymore. We don't need war anymore. We got these bugs that are killing us. Yeah. Let, let's focus all our resources on fighting that. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of a, a silver lining in the situation, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we can stop killing each other, uh, kind of focus on these, uh, these darn bugs that are coming out. What yeah. An, what an incredible idea. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's smart. I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, that's no, a, that, that, that's a beautiful sentiment and damn. Yeah. I could not have said it better. Mm -mm. I'm sure you think about this a lot more than I do, but yeah. well, well put. Very, very fucking well put. Uh, anyway, we got to get into yeah. Matt's fear. Spencer's fear. Spencer, Dr. Oh, Schwartz's yeah. Jesus. fear. Who am I thinking of? You're thinking of Matt Brady, the oh, astronomy Jesus. L-Works I was guy. Honestly, I was thinking about more beer, and that's what made me think of well, that. I know. I'm, I'm ready to have more beer. Yeah. But you know what? We also need to get into the fear part. You know, uh, Spence, tell us a little bit about like your fear of, um, I mean, I guess, raising kids right now and, and the modern times uh, that we're living in. Sure. I, I, you know, I, I hate to strike it up to the level of fear. You know, I, I, I feel like that's my greatest concern. Um, slightly bordering on fear. Um, sure. You know, kind of, I definitely see it as the, you know, the most difficult mission in my life that I'm going to have. Um, and the one I'm least certain that I'm going to be successful at. But I mean, that's, that's raising kids, you know, raising kids to be prepared for the world that's, you know, coming in 20 years. Um, yeah. You know, I, I feel like if you look at, you know, kind of through most of human history, you know, even prehistory, right? Like, what do you have? You have, you know, parents teaching their children exactly what to do to survive and to live and to have kids of their yeah. own. And, um, you know, that worked for a long time. And then, you know, I don't know if you want to say the last 300 years, the last 50 years, the last 30 years, sometime in the last, you know, 2000 years, um, you know, that, that paradigm's broken, right? You know, certainly now there's, I mean, I, I'd love to teach my son to do what I do and for him to do what I do. That would nothing, you know, that would make me incredibly proud. Um, but there's no saying, you know, in 25 years when he's ready to do it, you know, whether a robot's taking my job, right? Sure. Um, yeah. You know, I, so, I mean, there, there is the, you know, being, you know, economically competitive in the future, you know, the world they're going to have, um, obviously a lot of concerns with that, with climate change. You know, I look at it through the lens of challenges, but, uh, you know, fear creeps in, definitely. What, what do you think about, like, 
so specifically around what you said with uh, with your son um, or or any of your kids, the idea of automation taking over. You know, that's a real idea, you know, and, uh, you know, Andrew Yang talked a lot about this in his uh, short primary campaign um, about UBI, you know, the idea of automation and the future of humanity taking part in, you know, actually creating uh, or production. It's called production in, in the world. What, what do you think about that? Do you think that automation is all that it's chalked up to be? Uh, which which I think is really interesting and a, and a fascinating topic. Um, do you think that humans will always have a value on the production chain? Do you think humans will have to take a sidestep into art? Do you think that humans will continue to evolve the ways that we think about production so we'll always have sort of value there? What like what do you think what do you think your son will be doing thirty years from now? Yeah, I mean that's 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 really tough to answer. Um, I mean, obviously humans are always going to have value in the, in the production chain. The question is how many humans are necessary to produce a vast quantity of product, right? And the, the, the future that we're all fearing is that, isn't that nobody's going to have a job. It's just that very few people are going to have a job. Sure. And, um, you know, it's not that only the educator are going to have a job. And we're seeing this even now. You know, it's not enough to be educated. You know, you either have to be brilliant or know people or have a combination of both. Um, you know, that, that's kind of how the world is, but it's just like, that's going to be, I, I fear that that's going to be more the case, right? And so, you know, whether we fear automation or not, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say what to do, right? Hey, are we going to crack yeah, that the, up here? The it's quattro. Like, we're going to crack <laughs> this? Well, uh, we can. Yeah, because I think my, my beer is empty. Yeah, my beer is empty. My mouth is dry. My mouth dry as fuck. Spence, <laughs> you talk too long, man. I'm just kidding. DNA. No, it's it's actually just been a, a really great line of questioning. But let's open this beer. It's a breakfast stout. Mm. Who's, who's it from, Stu? So this uh, this bad boy is from Founders. And again, I just want to clarify. You know, Spencer is uh, in San Diego. We're in Las Vegas. So I don't think we wound up with the exact same beer, but we wound up with the same brewer. Okay. And uh, I think we're close enough for rock and roll. Yeah. Term uh, that I like to use. The the selection that I got was the Founders Breakfast Stout. Great beer. And uh, part of the reason that I got it was because it uh, it has a child on the off the cover. So at least the artwork sort of aligned with uh, with your fear, Spence. Um, but then on top of that, you know, for for the future, for to, to provide our kids the next generation with the best possible start what better way to start than with a good a good beer oh well. <laughs> <A> good breakfast <laughs> ah, both. I, was, I was gonna sort of like ellipses <laughs> the beer i was gonna say like a good breakfast and then and then dot 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 beer beer like for it. us yeah but you know what good enough good enough beer, you know they could start with beer too all right spence what do you got man you got you got a founders as well but you got a different one yeah, I got the founders. Is a K- oh, we had that one. KBS. We had that one two weeks ago. We did. Yeah, yeah I was gonna dude. say that looked familiar. Heck yeah. yeah, that one is good. Yeah, it, it's 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 heavy. It's it's a little hard for me at the moment. Uh, yeah, it's it's like mud. Yeah, no, yeah. this is thick. We're looking for the percentage on oh twelve. Okay, we're at twelve. Yeah. Oh damn, you got there, a twelve. Yeah, that's up there. You're gonna be up. You're getting smashed. You're getting smashed tonight. 
So, hey, again, cheers, guys. Uh, cheers. Spence, your, uh, your founders, uh, slightly yeah. different from ours. But you, yeah, but yours is 12%. Ours yeah. is, um, That's what, I think eight? ours is only 8.3. Yeah. So you're basically, you're 50% higher than ours. You're going to be smashed. It's Spencer's good. kicking our butt tonight. 8.3, yeah. Yeah, he really is. He's He selected better than us. Yeah, that's all right. We'll get him next time. So, Spence, so we were talking uh, before we cracked these bad oh, boys. Technology. About, uh, yeah, I mean, so like the automation and the technology. But but I want to get back to like the main, the main fear. And like, so your fear is about you know, future generations and, and what's going to happen to them and, and, you know, raising kids in this modern time and what that's going to look like for you. What's, what, what is, what's in store for the future of your kid? What's the biggest thing that concerns you? I would say for in the general sense, probably climate change. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, the this bowl's, this ball is kind of rolling. And even when we realize it's time to stop it, you know, there's going to be a lot of momentum keeping it going, making things worse. Um, sure. You know, I, I, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I would have thought that we had, you know, we wouldn't really see much of it in our lifetime. But, you know, it seems like the effects are going to be, you know, they're happening now. They're clearly happening now. They're going to continue getting worse. And, you know, obviously by the time our kids, you know, our adults, you know, is San Diego going to be a good place for them to live? You know, well, uh, Coronado will be underwater almost for sure. No, that's my favorite place. <laughs> it's where I proposed to my wife, Coronado Island, man. Oh, did you, where at? Uh, there's a little fresh res- French restaurant called Che Loma. Okay, nice. Yeah, but man. that's going to be gone, whether it's the earthquake or global Dude, warming. Coronado's are jam. Anyway, the point is, Coronado has no downside other than to Spencer's point uh, within uh, whatever time span. It's either going to be underwater due to uh, global warming or, or my theory, earthquake. Dang. Sure. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not sure Coronado specifically, you know, what their elevation is. It might take a, a little while to, for them to get soaked. In the 1800s, you, um, the entire Central Valley of California flooded in like 16 mm-hmm. feet of water. Does that, does that play into it at all? Like, I mean, maybe, maybe not because it's salt water that came in, but like, did that help moisten the Central Valley to like become this agricultural phenomenon? Well, yeah, it would have been salt water, right? Um, you know, from from what I read, the the Native Americans that living there at the time they knew to flee before the the floods ro- rose. They knew it had been raining long enough. They were their you know they intuition. They or, had their farmers' almanac. They had they had their farmers' almanac ready. They knew it was coming, basically. right? And so. Um, you know, maybe that was a once in every few hundred year thing, you know, the likelihood of something like that happening. And I mean, it's not just that, that by itself wouldn't be a big deal, but it's just a thing on top of thing on top of thing. Um, you know, life, I, you know, part of me feels like, you know, if, um, for the last 50 years, we were promised an easier life, right? We had robots doing mm-hmm. things, self-driving cars. Um, you know, life is supposed to get easier, right? That was the guarantee. Sure. That's what the Jetsons had. But, but. I, to me, the realization is that our, our human condition isn't one of things getting easier. You know, we're never going to have to work less. If we want to stay competitive in a global economy, we're not going to work 20 hours a week. We're going to keep working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. That's an interesting point. That's, that's, that's a really interesting point, man. Because, you know, I, I think the, 
there, there have been studies about like the productivity of the American worker over the last like century, basically. And obviously it's gone up tremendously with technology advances and all that kind of stuff. And, and you could say like, look, if you want to just stay on the same trajectory of productivity, then absolutely life would get easier, right? Like you'd say, well, look, technology is advanced. My efficiency has increased this like tenfold. So in order to get done what I used to get done in 40 hours, I can now get done in four hours, right? But that's not the way that competitiveness works, <laughs> unfortunately. The reality is if, 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 if we program computers and machines that can learn exponentially faster than we can, um, which again, I'm not saying that this is happening in five or 10 years, mm -hmm. but we're getting closer. I mean, it's happening faster. The reality is uh, we won't need humans to, to produce things to survive. Mm -hmm. What we'll need is humans to produce ideas and to produce bigger things to think about the next step. Yes. And we might not even need that. Yeah. <laughs> we might not. It may just be like you need to just like do something to. Push a button. <laughs> well, yeah, but 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 even I mean, obviously, then the question comes into to play of like, what are, what are we even here for, right? Like, what what's our what's our purpose? Yeah, we all serve a purpose right now through our through our careers and through our families. And if it if uh, if the career thing goes away and it's just family, like, not to say that that's not important. Of course, family is very important, mm -hmm. but I think that that takes away a big chunk of what we're trying to actually accomplish as a human species. So there's always going to be something that we're trying to to do trying to ideate around, trying to think about. I, you know, we get to create our future. We get to create our mm -hmm. current, you know, state. You know, we get to decide what we want to be, you know, yeah. what kind of society we want to be. And, you know, if we just go with the completely capitalist approach, obviously there's issues. If we go completely socialist approach, there's obviously issues there. Um, the I think the best approach is somewhere in between. But the fact is, we we hold the the decisions we make will decide the future, right? It's not going to be, yeah. <clears throat> you know, if we let the computers take control, it's because we decided to to do that. So let's just wrap this up. I got two more questions for you, Spence and Derek. You can jump in too if you have any more questions. I'll find one. All right. So just again, going back to the original fear, the biggest thing that freaks you out is climate change. What's the one thing if, if every if you wanted to change everyone's not mind, but if they could do one thing, what's the what's the one thing everyone could do to help out with climate change? You know, supporting initiatives at a national level um, that encourage changes in behavior, um, you know, is a big step forward. Um, obviously, all of our individual actions add up to a big difference. So the less we can use, you know, carbon, uh, you know, fossil, you know, fossil fuels are going to be, is going to be better. Um, but yeah, I, I think just supporting policies, candidates, um, proposals that. What basically what you're saying right now sounds to me like go you're telling vote. people go fucking vote for the policies that matter for the future of the world. Absolutely. All right. Spence. So my last question for you. By the time this podcast airs, we're going to be a week away from Halloween. What's your favorite scary movie? Or top three. Top three. If it's if it's tough for you, yeah, do tough. a top three. That's tough. I, I like some Halloween. For sure. Jamie Lee Curtis, a little bit of... Uh, original. We're yeah. talking original 1980. Sure. Uh, God, I, I hate to say it. Like, 
it's weird now, but hostile. Oh, Ooh. dude, yeah, no, for sure. A little bit, a little bit of gore, huh? Man, little little gore. It, it showed me, you know, how deep, how dark humans can be. Yeah, oh, sure. Uh, yeah, which is what we're looking for with the Halloween season, right? Of course. And then yeah. let's go with uh, Coco. Dude, Coco is amazing. Wait, wait, wait. We're talking about the the Disney yeah, movie. Yeah, the Disney movie, Coco. Yeah, first of all, I'll give you that. First of all, Coco is incredible. Coco is amazing. And yes, technically, I would put it in uh, the Halloween genre. Dia de los Muertos, absolutely. Day of the Dead, dude. It's not scary, though. <laughs> it's not scary. No, but it's a great movie. It is. And the song at the end does make me cry. Yeah. Okay. But you know what? The first two that you named were really good. Great. So I'll give you a pass. Well done. You know what? Because this will probably be the last podcast we really yeah. do before well, Halloween. Derek, what's your favorite scary movie? Totally. Like, I'll give you Halloween for sure. Definitely the f- the first one easily by far. I mean, wow. then they just slowly start to get bad. Well, sure. You know, um, I really like Freddy Krueger. Obviously, my last name is Krueger. Yeah. So I got that all the time. But it's kind of perfect. amazing movie. Um. And then, God, I'd have to go with, you know, one movie that's really kind of still screwed me up is Paranormal Activity, the Mm. first one. Mm. Um, Only because, like, I've had a lot of, like, interaction with, like, ghosts, like, totally live in a house that was haunted. So that movie, like, just really kind of connected. So I think that's why it scared me so much. Um, But, yeah, I'm a big fan of just the old school stuff like halloween jason i mean all those are classics you can't beat them uh what are yours Stu? i'm just gonna i'm just gonna throw the trump card on the table trump that's not a scary movie <laughs> that's all that's all of 2020 <laughs> all of actually, 2020 four years it wasn't even 2020 it was just the whole four years no no no, no. my trump card not political withstanding uh the shining oh, best horror gosh. film ever Best horror film of all time. You can't beat Kubrick. No, Stephen Kubrick's King influence. Yeah. Jack Nicholson absolutely that. destroyed it. And uh, Shelley Duvall got a lot of shit for the way that she played the character. Dude, did you movie. read all the behind the scenes stuff on that? Yes. Like they were giving her, yes. like they were totally just ripping her a new one yes. during the set, like to where she was crying so much. Yes. Oh, man. That, yeah, I read that article. It was crazy. That movie was uh, a work of passion from mm-hmm. Kubrick. I know Stephen King hates it, but he should... I'm a huge Stephen King fan. He needs to embrace it. Just don't even fucking laugh at me. <laughs> I'm a, we I, gotta I, have Spence on more. I like this. He's known you since you were like seven. Yeah, well... Spence knows too much about me. We gotta cut him off. <laughs> I love Spence, it. we're gonna turn you off right now. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Dr. Swartz. Yeah. Thank you for joining. We know you got a lot of your pathogens. We know you got a lot of doctoring to do. It was great. Like, I loved all the info. It was amazing. And uh, if you want to see the After Hours edition, follow us on Instagram where we'll play uh, a a couple extra minutes. And follow us on Patreon to get it. Damn right. Bye. We'll be seeing you.